0: We at Amazing Stories are thankful for and gracefully accept the donations we receive from our listeners from across the world who count on the unique programming we provide. You too can donate through the link provided in the description section of each episode. Please keep in mind that the continued support from our growing audience helps us fulfill our mission of bringing you a new Amazing Story every day. Thank you for listening, and we hope you continue to enjoy our stories. They came by night, came in their dark cars with their spotlights and their guns and their axes and pikes, came from the blackness with a great sound of motors, the long white arms of their spotlights snapping around the boulevard corner and clutching out at Cimarron Street. Robert Neville was sitting at the peephole when they came. He had put down a book and was sitting there watching idly when the beams splashed white across the bloodless vampire faces, and they whirled with a gasp their dark animal eyes staring at the blinding lights. Neville jumped back from the peephole, his heart thudding. For a moment he stood there, trembling, unable to decide what to do. His throat contracted and he heard the roar of the car motors even through the soundproofing on his house. He thought of the pistols in his bureau, the submachine gun on his workbench, thought of defending his house against them. Then he pressed his fingers in until the nails dug At his palms. No, he'd made his decision. He worked it out carefully through the past months. He would not fight. With a heavy sinking sensation in the pit of his stomach, he stepped back to the peephole and looked out. The street was a scene of rushing, violent action, illuminated by the bald glare of the spotlights. Men rushed at men. The sound of running boots covered the pavement. a shot rang out, echoing hollowly. More shots. Two male vampires went thrashing down onto their sides. Four men grabbed them by the arms and jerked them up, while the other two men drove the glittering lance points of their pikes into the vampires' chests. Neville's face twitched as screams filled the night. The dark-suited men knew exactly what they were doing. There were about seven vampires visible, six men and a woman, The men surrounded the seven, held their flailing arms, and drove razor-tipped pikes into their bodies. Blood spouted out on the dark pavement, and the vampires perished one by one. Neville felt himself shivering more and more. Is this the new society? The words flashed across his mind. He tried to believe that the men were forced into what they were doing, but shock brought terrible doubt. Did they have to do it like this, with such a black and brutal slaughtering? Why did they slay with alarm by night, when by day the vampires could be dispatched in peace? Robert Neville felt tight fists shaking at his sides. He didn't like the look of them. He didn't like the methodical butchery. They were more like gangsters than men forced into a situation. There were looks of vicious triumph on their faces. White and stark in the spotlights. Suddenly Neville felt himself shudder violently, remembering. Where was Ben Cortman? His eyes fled over the street, but he couldn't see Cortman. He pressed against the peephole and looked up and down the street. He didn't want them to get Cortman, he realized. Didn't want them to destroy Cortman like that. With a sense of inward shock he could not analyze in the rush of the moment, he realized that he felt more deeply toward the vampires than he did toward their executioners. Now the seven vampires lay crumpled and still in their pools of stolen blood. The spotlights were moving around the street, flaying open the night. Neville turned his head away as the brilliant glare blazed across the front of the house. Then the spotlight had turned about, and he looked again. A shout! Neville's eyes jumped toward the focus of the spotlights. He stiffened. Cortman was on the roof of the house across the street. He was pulling himself up toward the chimney, body flattened on the shingles. Abruptly it came to Neville that it was in that chimney that Ben Cortman had hidden most of the time, and he felt a wrench of despair at the knowledge. His lips pressed together tightly. Why hadn't he looked more carefully?' He felt sick apprehension at the thought of Cortman being killed by these brutal strangers. Objectively, it was pointless, but he could not repress the feeling. Cortman was not theirs to put to rest, but there was nothing he could do. With bleak, tortured eyes, he watched the spotlights cluster on Cortman's wriggling body. He watched the white hands reaching out slowly for handholds on the roof, slowly, slowly, as if Courtman had all the time in the world. Hurry up! The men did not shout. They did not command. They raised their rifles now, and the night was torn open again with the exploding fire. Neville almost felt the bullets in his own flesh. His body jerked with convulsive shudders as he watched Cortman's body jerk under the impact of the bullets. Still, Cortman kept crawling, and Neville saw his white face, his teeth gritted together. The end of Oliver Hardy, he thought, the death of all comedy and laughter. He didn't hear the continuous fusillade of shots. He didn't even feel the tears running down his cheeks. His eyes were riveted on the ungainly form of his old friend, inching up the brightly lit roof. Now Cortman rose on his knees and clutched at the chimney edge with spasmodic fingers. His body lurched as more bullets struck. His dark eyes glared into the blinding spotlights. His lips were drawn back in a soundless snarl. Then he was standing up beside the chimney, and Neville's face was white and taut as he watched Cortman start to raise his right leg. And then the hammering machine gun splattered Cortman's flesh with lead. For a moment Cortman stood erect in the hot blast, palsied hands raised high over his head, a look of berserk defiance twisting his white features. Ben, Neville muttered in a croaking whisper. Ben Cortman's body folded, slumped forward, fell. It slid and rolled slowly down the shingles, then dropped into space. In a sudden silence, Neville heard the thump of it from across the street. Sick-eyed, he watched the men rush at the writhing body with their pikes. Then Neville closed his eyes and his nails dug furrows in the flesh of his palms. A clumping of boots, Neville jerked back into the darkness. He stood in the middle of the room, waiting for them to call to him and tell him to come out. He would not fight. He'd throw himself upon the justice of their new society. When they called to him, he would go out and surrender. It was his decision. But they didn't call. Neville lurched back with a gasp as the axe blade bit deeply into the front door. He stood trembling in the dark living room. What were they doing? Why didn't they call on him to surrender? He wasn't a vampire. He was a man, like them. With a grunt of shocked surprise, he jumped into the hall as the enclosed house rang with the gun's explosion. The men were shooting away the lock on the front door. Another reverberating shot made his ears ring, and suddenly he knew. They weren't going to take him to their courts, to their justice. They were going to exterminate him. With a frightened murmur he ran into the bedroom, his hands fumbled in the bureau drawer. He straightened up on trembling legs the guns in his hands. But what if they were going to take him prisoner? He'd only judged by the fact that they hadn't called on him to come out. There were no lights in the house. Maybe they thought he'd already gone. He stood shivering in the darkness of the bedroom, not knowing what to do, mutters of terror filling his throat. Why hadn't he left? Why hadn't he listened to Ruth and left? Fool! One of his guns fell from nerveless fingers as the front door was crushed in. Heavy feet thudded into the living room, and Robert Neville shuffled back across the floor, his remaining pistol held out with rigid, blood-drained fingers. They weren't going to kill him without a fight. Neville caught his breath. He felt the room spinning around him. So this is the end. It was the only thing he could think. So this is the end. Heavy shoes thumped in the hall. Neville's fingers tightened still more on the pistol, and his eyes stared with wild fright at the doorway. Two men came in. Their white beams played around the room, struck his face. The two men recoiled abruptly. "'He's got a gun!' one of them cried, and fired his pistol. Neville heard the bullet smash into the wall over his head. Then the pistol was jolting in his hand, splashing his face with bursts of light. He didn't fire at any one of them. He just kept pulling the trigger automatically. One of the men cried out in pain. Then Neville felt a violent blow across his chest. He staggered back and jagged, burning pain exploded in his body. He fired once more, then crashed to his knees, the pistol slipping from his fingers. You got him! He heard someone cry as he fell. He tried to reach out for the pistol, but the dark boots stamped down on his hand and broke it. Neville drew in his hand with a rattling gasp and stared through pain-glazed eyes at the floor. Rough hands slid under his armpits and pulled him up. He kept wondering when they would shoot him again. Verge, he thought. Verge, I'm coming with you now. The pain in his chest was like molten lead poured over him from a great height. He felt and heard his boot tips scraping over the floor and waited for death. I want to die in my own house, he thought. He struggled feebly, but they didn't stop. Hot pain raked sawtooth nails through his chest as they dragged him through the front room. No, he groaned, no. Then pain surged up from his chest and drove a barbed club into his brain. Everything began spinning away into blackness. Verge, he muttered in a hoarse whisper, and the dark men dragged his lifeless body from the house into the night, into the world that was theirs and no longer his. Sound a murmured rustle in the air. Robert Neville coughed weakly, then grimaced as the pain filled his chest. The sound grew stronger, became a rumbling mixture of noises. He stared at the rough plaster ceiling for a full minute without blinking. Pain ebbed and swelled in his chest with an endless nerve-clutching throb. His face remained a taut, lined mask of resistance to the pain. If he relaxed for a second it enveloped him completely. He had to fight it. For the first few minutes he could only struggle with the pain, suffering beneath its hot stabbing. Then, after a while, his brain began to function, slowly like a machine faltering, starting and stopping, turning and jamming gears. Where am I? It was his first thought. The pain was awful. He looked down at his chest and saw that it was bound with a wide bandage, a great moist spot of red rising and falling jerkily in the middle of it. I'm hurt, he thought. I'm hurt badly. His mouth and throat felt powdery. Then he remembered. The dark men and the attack on his house, and he knew where he was even before he turned his head and saw the barred windows across the tiny cubicle. He looked at the windows for a long time, face tight, teeth clenched together. The sound was outside, the rushing, confused sound. He let his head roll back on the pillow and lay staring at the ceiling. It was hard to understand the moment on its own terms, hard to believe it wasn't all a nightmare. Over three years alone in his house, now this... But he couldn't doubt the sharp shifting pain in his chest, and he couldn't doubt the way the moist red spot kept getting bigger and bigger. I'm going to die, he thought. He tried to understand that, but that didn't work either. In spite of having lived with death all these years, in spite of having walked a tightrope of bare existence across an endless maw of death, in spite of that, he couldn't understand it. Personal death still was a thing beyond comprehension. He was still on his back when the door behind him opened. He couldn't turn. It hurt too much. He lay there and listened to the footsteps approach the bed, then stop. He looked up, but the person hadn't come into view yet. My executioner, he thought, the justice of this new society. He closed his eyes and waited. He ran his tongue over his lips. Are you thirsty? He looked up with dulled eyes at her, and suddenly his heart began throbbing. The increased blood flow made the pain billow up and swallow him. He couldn't cut off the groan of agony. He twisted his head on the pillow, biting his lips and clutching at the blanket feverishly. The red spot grew bigger. She was on her knees now, patting perspiration from his brow touching his lips with a cool, wet cloth. The pain began to subside slowly, and her face came into gradual focus. Neville lay motionless, staring at her with pain-filled eyes. So, he finally said. She didn't answer. She got up and sat on the edge of the bed. She patted his brow again. Then she reached over his head, and he heard her pouring water into a glass. The pain dug razors into him as she lifted his head a little so he could drink. This is what they must have felt when the pikes went into them, he thought. This cutting, biting agony. The escape of life's blood. His head fell back on the pillow. Thank you, he murmured. She sat looking down at him, a strange mixture of sympathy and detachment on her face. Her reddish hair was drawn back into a tight cluster behind her head and clipped there. She looked very clean-cut and self-possessed. You wouldn't believe me, would you? she asked. A little cough puffed out his cheeks. His mouth opened and he sucked in some of the damp morning air. I believed you, he said. Then why didn't you go? He tried to speak, but the words jumbled together. His throat moved, and he drew in another faltering breath. I couldn't, he muttered. I almost went, several times. Once I even packed and started out. But I couldn't. I couldn't go. I was too used to the the house. It was a habit. Just just like the habit of living I got used to it her eyes ran over his sweat greased face and she pressed her lips together as she patted his forehead again it's too late now she said you know that don't you something clicked in his throat as he swallowed I know he said he tried to smile but his lips only twitched why did you fight them she said they had orders to bring you in unharmed. If you hadn't fired at them, they wouldn't have harmed you. His throat contracted. What difference? He gasped. His eyes closed and he gritted his teeth tightly to force back the pain. When he opened them again, she was still there. The expression on her face had not changed. His smile was weak and tortured. Your your society is certainly a fine one he gasped. Who are those gangsters who came to get me? The the Council of Justice? Her look was dispassionate. She's changed, he thought suddenly. New societies are always primitive, she answered. You should know that. In a way, we're like a revolutionary group, repossessing society by violence. It's inevitable, "'Violence is no stranger to you. "'You've killed many times. "'Only to survive. "'That's exactly why we're killing,' she said calmly. "'To survive. "'We can't allow the dead to exist beside the living. "'Their brains are impaired. "'They exist for only one purpose. "'They have to be destroyed. "'As one who killed the dead and the living... You know that. The swelling pain sank down and the clouds passed from his eyes. He looked up at her calm face. I hope so, he said. But did you see their faces when they... They killed? His throat moved convulsively. Joy, he mumbled. Pure joy. Her smile was thin and withdrawn. She has changed, he thought. Entirely. Did you ever see your face, she asked, when you killed? She patted his brow with a cloth. I saw it, remember? It was frightening. And you weren't even killing then, you were just chasing me. He closed his eyes. Why am I listening to her, he thought. She's become a brainless convert to this new violence. Maybe you did see joy on their faces, she said. It's not surprising. They're young, and they are killers, assigned killers, legal killers. They're respected for their killing, admired for it. What can you expect from them? They're only fallible men, and men can learn to enjoy killing. That's an old story, Neville. You know that." He looked up at her. Her smile was the tight, forced smile of a woman who is trying to forego being a woman in favor of her dedication. "Robert Neville," she said, "the last of the old race." His face tightened. "Last?" he muttered, feeling the heavy sinking of utter loneliness in him. As far as we know, she said casually, you're quite unique, you know. When you're gone, there won't be anyone else like you within our particular society. He looked towards the window. Those are people outside, he said. She nodded. They're waiting. For my death? For your execution, she said. He felt himself tighten as he looked up at her. "'You'd better hurry,' he said without fear, with a sudden defiance in his hoarse voice. They looked at each other for a long moment. Then something seemed to give in her. Her face grew blank. "'I knew it,' she said softly. "'I knew you wouldn't be afraid.' Impulsively she put her hand over his. "'When I first heard they were ordered to your house, I was going to go there and warn you.' but then i knew that if you were still there nothing would make you go then i was going to try to help you escape after they brought you in but they told me you'd been shot and i knew that escape was impossible too a smile flitted over his lips i'm glad you're not afraid she said you're very brave her voice grew soft robert they were silent and he felt her hand tighten on his. "'How is it you can come in here?' he asked then. "'I'm a ranking officer in the new society,' she said. His hand stirred under hers. "'Don't let it get—' he coughed up blood. "'Don't let it get too brutal, too heartless.' What can I... She started and stopped. She smiled at him. I'll try, she said. He couldn't go on. The pain was getting worse. It twisted and turned like a clutching animal in his body. Ruth leaned over him. Robert, she said, listen to me. They mean to execute you. Even though you're wounded, they have to. The people have been out there all night waiting. They're terrified of you, Robert. They hate you, and they want your life. She reached up quickly and unbuttoned her blouse. Reaching under her brazier. she took out a tiny packet and pressed it into his right palm. It's all I can do, Robert, she whispered, to make it easier. I warned you. I told you to go. Her voice broke a little. You just can't fight so many, Robert. I know. The words were gagging sounds in his throat. For a moment she stood over his bed, a look of natural compassion on her face. It was all a pose, he thought, her coming in and being so official. She was afraid to be herself. I can understand that. Ruth bent over him and her cool lips pressed on his. You'll be with her soon, she murmured hastily. Then she straightened up, her lips pressed together tightly. She buttoned the two top buttons of her blouse. A moment longer she looked down at him, then her eyes glanced at his right hand. Take them soon, she murmured, and turned away quickly. He heard her footsteps moving across the floor. Then the door was shutting, and he heard the sound of it being locked. He closed his eyes and felt warm tears pushing out from beneath the lids. Goodbye, bye Ruth. Goodbye, everything.' Then suddenly he drew in a quick breath. Bracing himself, he pushed up to a sitting position. He refused to let himself collapse at the burning pain that exploded in his chest. Teeth grating together, he stood up on his feet. For a moment he almost fell, but catching his balance, He stumbled across the floor on vibrating legs he could hardly feel. He fell against the window and looked out. The street was filled with people. They milled and stirred in the gray light of morning, the sound of their talking like the buzzing of a million insects. He looked out over the people, his left hand gripping the bars with bloodless fingers, his eyes fever-lit. Then someone saw him, For a moment there was an increased babbling of voices, a few startled cries, then sudden silence, as though a heavy blanket had fallen over their heads. They all stood looking up at him with their white faces. He stared back, and suddenly he thought, I'm the abnormal one now. Normalcy was a majority concept, the standard of many and not the standard of just one man. Abruptly that realization joined with what he saw in their faces—awe, fear, shrinking horror—and he knew that they were afraid of him. To them he was some terrible scourge they had never seen, a scourge even worse than the disease they had come to live with. He was an invisible specter who had left for evidence of his existence the bloodless bodies of their loved ones. And he understood what they felt and did not hate them. His right hand tightened on the tiny envelope of pills. So long as the end did not come with violence, so long as it did not have to be a butchery before their eyes. Robert Neville looked out over the new people of the earth. He knew he did not belong to them. He knew that, like the vampires, he was anathema and black terror to be destroyed. And abruptly the concept came, amusing to him even in his pain. A coughing chuckle filled his throat. He turned and leaned against the wall while he swallowed the pills. Full circle. A new terror born in death. A new superstition entering the unassailable fortress of forever. I am legend.